Hi, and welcome to Gameplay Radio here on Radio Free Brooklyn, a storytelling game radio show featuring guests from the New York City Hive and beyond with theme music by Jasula. Find out more about her work at jasula.com. And today it's just going to be me again. I know we've been having these uh, intimate little moments with each other pretty on and off for the past couple of months. I hope you don't mind just hearing from me every once in a while because I certainly really enjoy it. I feel like I say this every time that I come on to gameplay radio and it's just me and no guest, but it's a really kind of special experience to play a game and tell a story with yourself, um, especially in a spoken word setting. So I really appreciate that y'all listen to it um, and that y'all find interest in it and still support me as I do this as well. So thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me today. Uh, If you are in the mood for something that has a little bit more conversation in it, I highly recommend that you go and check out our archive of shows, uh, which is available on basically anywhere that you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Radio Free Brooklyn website, you name it, we've got it. So go and check that out there. Um, we definitely get up into a lot of fun shit with people. And we get into a lot of fun shit when it's just me and my listeners too. Uh, but it's a different kind of fun shit. So I like to have options for everybody, which, you know, is definitely something that's possible with tabletop role-playing games because there are so many games out there so many games I am constantly overwhelmed by how many games there are and I'm very excited to say that I'm once again playing a new game today uh, that is called The Mysteries of Addie C. Uh, The Mysteries of Addie C is a solo game that was written and designed by Jessica L. Washburn and it is it's a spooky mystery game. And uh, I have to admit, when I think about horror, 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 uh, when I think about scary games, when I think about scary stories, I have always been the kind of person who has been way too overwhelmed by scary things. I, I say to myself, like, I've never really liked, I've always kind of disliked uh, horror movies, that genre with the with the violence and the jump scares and the creepy music with all the dissonance and the screaming and the distress. It always made me so uncomfortable, which is the point, but I never enjoyed it. But honestly, since discovering tabletop role-playing game horror, I've really honestly started to enjoy it a lot more. I think possibly because it's more of a, a curated scare if you know what I mean, I feel like there's something different to hearing about something that's a little creepy, just like listening to it and imagining it as opposed to viscerally seeing it and seeing the fear and also um, not being a participant, I suppose. Uh, not that I'm saying I want bad things to happen to me. Please, no, God, I will burn a house down, or move if I hear of any place that I am in actually actively having a ghost. Absolutely not. But participating in a story about scary things is, it's fun. It's exciting. It's it like it's like a challenge. I don't know. I, I, I like it. Uh, so I'm excited to be playing another one of those games today. 
as this is in fact a game about a haunted house. Hey, uh, the official description of this game is a single page, so I'll just read that off because we have all the time in the world today. The Mysteries of Addie C is a solo journaling game where you play, or I, the person speaking, is going to play a paranormal investigator staying 13 nights at a haunted bed and breakfast called the Addie C, located in the quiet seaside town of Bethany Beach, Delaware. Built in 1901 by colonizer and plumbing supplier John M. Addy as a summer retreat from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for his family, the Addy Sea sits on stolen Algonquin lands. It is situated at the corner of Ocean View Parkway and North Atlantic Avenue. The late Victorian mansion turned bed and breakfast was the first in the area to have indoor plumbing and gas lights. It is said that the bones of this house have been steeped in storms, the Great Depression, shaking tubs, and death. And you, or I, or we, are determined to find out if these claims are true. So, that's what we're getting into today, folks. <laughs> I'm, ex I'm excited. I'm excited. Are you excited? Um, I think it's going to be interesting and spooky and a little exciting, and I thank you for being with me here to go on this journey together. Uh, 13 nights is a long time, but we'll see how much we get done in the time that we have. And I guess without further ado, we should get on into it. But before we do, we have a couple of things that we need to let you know that are happening here at Radio Free Brooklyn. First and foremost is the fact that Radio Free Brooklyn is sponsored in part by PharmaGear, offering little or no cost medical braces. More information is available at 844-598-6693. So go check that out. Also, Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. As it has been for so many, the pandemic year was a difficult one for us financially, and every dollar helps us to stay on the air, and it allows us to continue our work in the community. So please help by pledging whatever you can. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax-deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org donate. Also, if you'd like to listen to Radio for Brooklyn when you're not in front of a computer or have a weird window open on your phone, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android available where, you know, you download apps regularly. Okay, that's it for today. Uh, for announcements, that is. Uh, but that is not it for gaming purposes. So I think we should get into that because I am ready to go. I'm ready for some story. I don't know about y'all, but I, I am in the mood for some escapism. I am in the mood to be somewhere else. And I am in, a, in the mood to take you there with me. So I hope that you come on this journey and let's go. So in order to play the mysteries of Addie C, we need a story writing a storytelling system of our choice which is going to be my voice to this microphone to your ears 
and a number of other computers in between. Uh, and I think this is really interesting. It says, there is no right way to complete your stay at ADC. So long as you complete your 13 nights, you just start in any room and you go around. As a paranormal investigator, it says that we may have the following equipment at our disposal for our stay at the ADC. And this includes an infrared thermometer, a digital voice recorder, hey, already on it, an EMF sensor, a camera with night vision, a ghost box, which is apparently a device that sweeps AM and FM radio frequencies, and a journal for your findings. So there are 13 rooms here, and I think just for the sake of not scrolling through and just randomly picking rooms, depending on what interests me most, I am going to add a little bit of chaos into it, a little bit of a dice roll. I have a d20 in my hands right now, and that will help us pick. If the number is over 13, uh, I'm just going to say that that is going to be the room that has the highest number that we have not been in yet. So that's what we're going to be doing. And, and here's, a, here's a question. Okay, let's, let's think about this. Do I want to be me or do we want to create a character for a paranormal investigator? I kind of feel like we do. I kind of feel like we do because I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. As I said earlier, I am um, a big weenie when it comes to ghosts. And I have a feeling we're going to potentially experience a lot of ghosts. So Aaron would never be caught dead in this house. I wouldn't be there. So um, let's 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 have someone else step foot in the Sea. Who should it be? Hmm. Who am I imagining? I'm imagining a mid-30s woman. Yes, okay. She's wearing dark green slacks and a matching dark green vest that gets settled over a well-worn white button-down rolled up at the sleeves. She kind of has this uh, professory look about her. She has um, wire-rimmed circular glasses on her face and very, very pale skin. She is an indoor person. She doesn't go outside much. She spends most of her time in places exploring and examining paranormal activity. When it does bring her outside, she just burns really quickly. <laughs> uh, I'm picturing that she has short, yeah, short brown hair, like cropped short, like so that it's kind of out of her way. She never has to really like deal with it. Always kind of a mess, but not like dirty, just kind of messy. Uh, and she has her a uh, little adventuring backpack that she keeps with her at all times. And her name is Whitney Johnson. Whitney Johnson is a paranormal investigator and she is going into this house. I feel like she's a big history nerd, so she probably has all of this information that I, Erin, unfortunately will not have, but I will try to do right by Whitney with this story. Let's describe a little bit more about how Whitney came to be at the Addisi. How did she how did she find this place? I feel like she travels, you know. I feel like she spends a lot of her time exploring haunted locations in the United States 
you know, places where where lands have this history of death and living souls not being put to rest before they go to their where to wherever they go afterwards. Um, I'm not sure. I think Whitney has some theories about where where souls go after they are departed from their bodies, but I think for her it's more of a fascination with the ones who get lost along the way. Kind of a fascination with the idea that beings, people, existences could live and resonate with our physical world when they are no longer tied to their physical body that keeps them in time, in step with the way the world is turning. It's this kind of fascination for her about the idea that uh, there can be something that exists that can be measurable that is inside and outside of reality at the same time uh, and what that means for reality. So I think Whitney is someone who has this, this interest in her in things that don't quite exist. Does she make a living out of being a paranormal investigator? I'm going to say yes. She's often hired to check in on different places and I think just kind of measure how steeped in non-reality the location where the haunting is happening is. Like, because wherever haunting, wherever paranormal activity exists, there the bounds of reality stop meaning as much as well. And as fascinating as that is, that can be a scary place for people and a dangerous place for people to be if they don't understand what's there or why it's there and they don't respect it. Um, so she kind of goes into these places and educates the people who live there on the history of the lands, the history of the deaths that could have made up this paranormal spot, this paranormal doorway, this film over a location. She kind of examines it. And perhaps there is, at the Addy Sea, a new client in town. There's uh, someone who wants to, who has recently acquired the property for the Addy Sea. They kind of have heard about these paranormal things happening here at the Addy Sea, and they have been trying to explore how safe it is to rebuild this location like how steeped in this film are they just to kind of get a sense for what kind of work or what what they've gotten themselves into uh, because i think that the new owners of the adc have just heard rumors and i think that they would like confirmation so they've hired whitney in and she arrives at this bed and breakfast and part of me wants to believe that while whitney is there they've had the house be empty. So I, I'm kind of imagining Whitney entering into, like being given a key for the Odyssey, opening the door, unlocking it, and entering into this empty space and exploring it on her own. Okay, I don't know about you, but I think I am ready to get into one of these rooms here. So I'm just going to roll this dice and we are going to see which room we're staying in for our first night. Going to room six. Okay, so each room has a description. 
and a couple of questions that we can kind of use to examine and take notes as we are in this space. Room six, the description says. Located on the second floor on the north side of this house, this room has an ocean front view, a king size bed, a private shower, and privy closet. This room is home to the sound of organ music in the late hours of the night. Past guests complained to staff, but the staff couldn't ever find the source for the music. Consider the following while you are in this room. What tools do you use during your night's stay? Why do you use these tools? How does the organ sound? Does the music put you to sleep? Or does it keep you awake? And what do you learn about this room? Well, Whitney goes into this room. She goes into room six. And I think for the first night, she tries to just experience the night as it would be happening. I think she would be there, she would be taking notes, and she would be sitting and listening and trying to kind of get a sense, get a feel for the situation that she has brought herself in. So I think, I'm not, I don't think, I don't think she's using a lot of tools, but she's definitely going to sit with her back to the ocean view, looking into the room, I think on the floor, maybe. I don't think she sleeps in the bed on the first night. But she sits with her back against the glass of the windows to the ocean. And kind of sits there and just listens for a couple of hours and takes notes. And then the next morning she records, which is what we're going to do now. Evening one at the Addy Sea completed. There are 13 rooms in this house, and I dare say I imagine that we will be exploring all of them during this examination. Uh, my employer wanted to make sure that I was quite thorough with all of the rumors that were happening in this house, um, a house steeped in a history of disrespect to the dead. So it totally makes sense to me that this would be a place that was haunted. And I definitely think that it was. I was sitting there, you know, doing my usual setup uh, where I kind of try to just take in my surroundings to explore them. And I heard the sound of organ music, big, deep organ music. It was fascinating. It almost sounded a little bit like the rumble of the sea at first behind me, but then as I listened, it got kind of louder and louder as it went, and it was this deep, it had a lot of pipes. <laughs> that organ, that organ had a lot of pipes. It was an incredible instrument that was being played last night, but I was the only one in the house, so I knew that it wasn't anyone else. It was this music that seemed to kind of grow with these large impassioned chords as it played um, and the chords were gradually suspenseful things almost as if it were rising in, in anxiety in me and um, as I observed as I observed this this organ sound I did I could understand how uh, the sound of this organ would be concerning for guests if they didn't understand what was happening here it was this 
rise and as it, I mean it started out small and, and as it uh, expanded outward it became ever so more clashing and breaking and pounding and this great disturbing noise and then it as the light as the light of the sun began to rise it began to lessen and lessen almost as if the organ sound was tied to how dark it was in the room it was quite fascinating because when you think about music uh, often music can be considered a form of memory memories that are musical translates differently to the body than any other type of experience uh, because with with music you feel it with with your everything like you feel it with the vibrations of your body like you can imagine how it might look in the air it's it's a very dreamy experience it felt like it was a memory that was trying to recall itself like a memory that was trying to re-establish itself in existence it's fascinating and it was related to the to the sun as well to the light and I the only thing I could imagine would be that perhaps a spirit found their way or passed away nearby this room and found to themselves that they forgot who they were and as they listened to the music and kind of grew and tried to grab onto that music as their identity they expanded in this way I wish I understood I wish I knew who it was who could have died in this room or who could have passed and left their soul behind but I think this is going to be a really interesting stay okay I think it's time for room two all right room four Located on the second floor on the north side of the house, this room has a limited ocean view, a queen-size bed, and a privy closet. This room has been recorded to be home to the laughter of small children and tinkling bells. Uh, a lot of the questions for things to consider are the same. What tools do you use? What do you learn about this room? Some questions about how we feel about the laughter and the bells. And can we figure out where the laughter is coming from? So let's see. Evening number two on the Addy Sea. Whitney Johnson recording. I was visited by the manifestation of children last night. Two of them. They were laughing and, and moving around the room. It felt like this was a very active experience. Uh, it felt like something that was enthusiastic in a way. It felt like they were really enjoying themselves. And as I was experiencing this, I think what really struck me about these children is that as opposed to the other room where the sound of the organ was really trying very hard to assert itself in the room, the laughter of these children, just by being there, I felt like I was intruding on something. Like I was intruding on some sort of game, almost. Like I was not even there to these children. Um, and I did, I, I was curious. I wanted to see if I, could, if I could catch a little bit of their movement while I was there in the night. And so I, I did pull out my 
infrared thermometer, my infrared sensor, just to kind of see if I could discover, uh, if I could kind of catch them while they were moving a little bit. And uh, because as, as paranormal memories or activities assert themselves, they give off an energy in our reality. I did see two children running around the room that seemed like they were playing a game of tag of sorts. They, I mean, they were doing a number of different things. They were kind of chasing each other around the room with toys. It seemed like they were, every once in a while, they would stop and pick up other, to other toys, not um, actual physical toys, but like kind of manifestations of toys in their hands. Um, because the, the shapes in their hands seemed to shape as they ran around the room. And it was, I mean, honestly, frankly, kind of adorable. The, the laughter was, was joyous, but I think what was really interesting was the tinkling of the bells, which uh, seemed to be some kind of calling system to them that they were also ignoring. Because the tinkling bells kept happening and the children acted as if they didn't even know that it was happening themselves and it didn't seem to be very coordinated with them running around. It seemed like it was almost static between me and these these beings. Maybe it was some sort of representation of a calling or a transgression that they were doing by having this joy in this room. Finding such a joy while these bells rang that uh, even though I was not a part of their experience, I, while I heard those bells, I felt guilty. Like I was being seen for something that I had done. And I think perhaps this might've been a play place, a playroom for children to uh, be with each other. And perhaps that was not okay. It, it seems like there might be a lot happening in the ADC, a lot of different beings here at the same time. Do they recognize each other? Do they acknowledge each other's existence? This is something that I will have to examine on my other nights. Okay. All right, Whitney. Let's, let's go to your third night. Room 13. Located on the first floor of the mansion, off the parlor, this room is a disappointment compared to its 12 other siblings. Well, okay. Uh, nobody can seem to answer your question as to why the 13th room is on the first floor. It has limited views, a double-sized bed, and a cramped closet that the staff call a bathroom. This is, that's in quotes. It has been documented that after spending a night in this room, the guests feel weak or drained as if their life force was being drained from them. Oh my. Consider the following questions while you were in this room. What tools? What did you learn? Is the aura of this room different than the ones others you've stayed in? Did you find anything peculiar in this room? Okay, I think this is where we're gonna start getting some extra stuff here. Something's about to happen. Night three at the ADC completed. I'm understanding the reports now of guests feeling drained after being in this room because I stay up during the evening to observe and then I I bring a camper with me, of course, and I usually bring it outside to rest during the day. 
um, before preparing for another evening, but as soon as I entered into this room for my evening stay and I, I sat up sitting against a wall and looking out into the room, as I sat down, I felt suddenly unable to get back up again. It, it felt like whatever presence was in the room with me at that moment in time, as soon as I was, I was, I was there, it weighed on me. It was attempting to keep me there. I, I struggled to keep my eyes open while I was in that room. It, it didn't feel like a happy place. It felt oppressive. I admit as I was sitting there, unable to move, I, I felt my own pulse increase uh, and adrenaline started to pump through my system, but I could not um, move. I don't have any sensors from or any measurements from the evening because I was unable to move my body once I sat down. I, I literally could not lift an arm. I only could observe as I sat there, which I, I would have liked to measure, I admit. I did return during the daytime and tried to measure what I could. As soon as the morning began and I, I felt the, the presence, the pressure on me lift a little bit, I uh, quickly moved, uh, well, as quick as I could, I uh, quickly moved to um, my thermometer once again to try to see if I could catch any resonances in the room while I was there uh, before, perhaps before it burned away because the type of effort it takes for a being to assert that kind of control over a living being, it takes energy. And I kind of tried to measure around the room and it had cooled off already some, but I did manage to measure kind of an overall sheet of heat coming from this room. It seems like the room itself here, instead of like a being existing independently in this space, it seems as almost if the room itself has become imbued with this memory, which is uh, incredible. This room sits more on the boundary of life and death than any other room that I've experienced in the house so far. And, and that is um, an incredible feat when you really think about it. It's, um, that takes a lot of power and it takes a lot of time. I hate to think about what could have caused such a room to be that way. Um, how many people must have been trapped in this room where they ill were they imprisoned here why was this room the one that stayed if this house has been here for so long it seems like something was here all along and they tried to build around it or did the house make this place i'm concerned i i think that perhaps this was perhaps originally a location of exit for beings that used to live in this house, for humans that used to live in this house. And the more they passed through, they, and they punched through in this location, it became kind of a doorway. This might not be a good sign for any type of renovation. And I think in terms of fixing this room in terms of um, protecting future visitors, future guests from a room such as this. If the room is steeped in this kind of almost sentient existence, 
then I, I'm, I'm not sure if it would be safe for anyone to, to stay in this room for long periods of time. I think it just feeds the room as it grows, which I don't think is safe at all. I, I don't think I'm going to miss it. I've experienced a lot of dangerous entities, dangerous experiences as a paranormal investigator. That's my job to experience these things. But it's very clear now, after having experienced so many, that this room is not safe. And I hope that they will be able to acknowledge that. In the meantime, I'm gonna go take a walk around the town, perhaps walk around the beach. I, I feel sluggish and yet strangely like I don't want to sit still right now. So I think I'm going to put on a lot of sunscreen and go out and take a walk. Okay, let's go on to evening four. Room two. All right. Located on the second floor on the north side of the house, this room is home to two queen beds, limited scenic views, and a private bath with a shower. The most curious thing about this room is the sink that will fill itself up with sand at 3 a.m., but the sand is always gone by dawn. What <laughs> a silly little house. At least this room is. Okay, questions here. Did you manage to stay awake? What tools did you use? Was there sand? What did we learn? Okay. Evening four at the Addy Sea. Completed. Staying up until 3 a.m. was would normally be no problem if I hadn't spent the previous evening being oppressed and drained by a sentient room on the first floor. But I did manage. Um, I think I'm going to have to take a longer rest today because I clearly actually need it. But I did manage to stay up and I set up a camera with night vision and I kind of turned it on and just left it directed at the sink to kind of examine the, examine the activity that happens at 3am to examine how the sand fills up and what exactly it means and perhaps if there is anything else in the room as that's happening. It was interesting because as I sat there I looking at the sink saw it fill up with sand. I saw it. I saw it move. I saw I saw just out of the out of the spout sands just started falling into the sink. It spilled up and filled up all the way to the top and then kind of and started to spill over a little bit. And I could see that, but when I looked into the camera view, I didn't see the sand at all. I mean, instead, in the viewfinder, it was water. Water was coming through the pipe. And I reached my hand out to touch the sand to kind of experience it. And it did feel like sand in my hands, but as I ran through it and then I looked in the viewfinder, it looked like it was water that was overflowing and falling onto the floor which is a, a very odd illusion if that is the case, uh, especially since there, were no, there weren't ever any reports of the bath being overflowed or pipes bursting in the middle of the night. There weren't any reports of soggy bath towels or ruined clothing or destroyed wallpaper or uh, no damage reports in the mornings, um, except that it would fill with sand. 
So one being is trying to replicate a, a water scenario with sands. It almost feels as if it's a mistake of sorts. As if whatever being is trying to re-experience water in this way is just not doing it right. <laughs> Uh, which, which, I mean, I think it does happen sometimes where paranormal beings will not necessarily know what they're doing. And then because they don't know what they're doing, they will do it incorrectly or do it in a kind of a confusing way. But uh, that's almost endearing, you know. Um, even from a paranormal standpoint, humans are not perfect and neither are uh, living beings as once we are separated from our bodies, we continue to experience imperfection. There is no such thing as perfection, even after death. Uh, something about that is very comforting to me, but I suppose that's besides the point for this report. But I will say, as I'm, I've, as I'm reporting this, that I do wonder what that water means. I admit that I've been a little curious and concerned after experiencing Room 13 about what, in, what all of these other memories mean. I'm a little concerned that the experiences of this house, the experience that have imbued itself and the, the paranormal activity that is happening here is all based around the idea of a family that was struggling. Uh, it was struggling with themselves and each other, and therefore went through dangerous means of handling that. Like, I, I, I'm half concerned that this running water, this active, actual running water, is a bigger indication of some sort of danger, something happening, or some sort of attempt at a drowning, or some attempts to perhaps destroy this room in a way. There's some sort of destructive quality to this, even if it, even in its mildness, almost as if a child, perhaps one of the children from the other room, perhaps this is another memory, another manifestation of that taking place here in room two. Unconclusive so far, if this is going to be a secure location for a bed and breakfast. Uh, but perhaps this is just uh, a situation in which this would be an experience. Because as, as I sat in this room, I never felt in any danger. I felt concerned for the history of this place, which is strife-filled. Um, I guess we'll continue to explore whether this is something that needs to be of concern. Let's do night five. I'm getting into this more than I thought. I think it's interesting to imagine, to try to pull together what could have happened here to make all of this happen in all of these different rooms, which I think is the point, right? You know, it's a mystery. All right, we'll get into it later. Let's go on to evening five. Okay, room 12. Located on the second floor and home to side ocean and garden views, this room has a lonely, twin-sized bed, an ancient television, and a small private bathroom. 
Reportedly the least paranormally active room in the bed and breakfast, there have been no more than six reports that, upon waking up to brush their teeth in the morning, guests would find ectoplasm covering the bathroom mirror. <laughs> okay. The questions about this are basically about the ectoplasm, which makes sense. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Evening number five complete. Here at the Addy Sea, I feel much better rested. I've been eager to explore the other rooms after having experienced um, the last couple. I'm still very curious about room 13 and about the, the feeling of, of being trapped there, but I'm also curious about all these other rooms. And I, I kind of had a an suspicion that this room uh, would probably be the um, most peaceful room um, considering what I had been told about it being the least paranormal. But interestingly enough, I don't think people realize that when the results of paranormal activity are physically visible, if they are visceral, then it is a much stronger sense of existence than, say, a, than a sound or perhaps a or a heat signature. It's, it takes a level of power and co condensation to create ectoplasm, which implies that whatever is in this room, whatever has been in this room a couple of times that they've been in there, has somehow managed to manifest physically which isn't something that paranormal beings, once they've been separated from their bodies, manifesting physically takes an extraordinary amount of effort. And ectoplasm is the result of that effort. So um, I was very eager to see and experience this. I did kind of hope that I would be able to catch them in the act, but I was concerned considering it's only on the bathroom mirror, I didn't want to spook them at all. Funny, isn't that the idea of me spooking them? But it does happen. I found myself setting up a digital voice recorder. I slipped it into the medicine cabinet behind the mirror, uh, hoping to um, hide it from view, from whatever being might be manifesting ectoplasm on this mirror. And then I, um, because, well, of course, I, I had my rest earlier in the day, I, uh, has spent my evening meditating by feigning sleep, which uh, is a funny part of my job that I actually have discovered how to do. It's actually not too difficult after you get used to it, but uh, that's what I did for my evening. And then I uh, woke up the next morning and crossed my fingers and hoped that there was going to be some ectoplasm. And I admit there was some, I'm, a, I'm afraid to say that when I, I, I took out the digital recorder and I listened to it, I did get sound, but the, the, the sound of it, it, it just, it sounded a little bit like vomiting. It, it sounded, unfortunately, as if whatever being was in this room was trying to expunge something from their bodies and in the experience of that, manifested it on this mirror. Uh, which is unfortunate for anyone who touches this stuff because it's essentially ghost vomit. Usually when you look at ectoplasm, and this was a, a bit of an average, a bit of an average case for what ectoplasm looks like. It was kind of a 
a clear, like a clear liquid. Like it would almost seem as if it were water, were it not for the fact that it had kind of a thicker consistency on this mirror. It's sort of like a gel and it did cling to the mirror, but the sound was like a, a vomit. Um, so I'm afraid that, that people have been cleaning up ghost vomit on this mirror. But what that means for the room, why would someone, why would a being every once in a while vomit on a mirror? What would be their interest in that? What are they re-experiencing? But they're not experiencing it constantly. There have been no more than six reports. This bed and breakfast was open for a long time before it came under new management. Is it just specific individuals? Is it just on certain times of the month, perhaps? What if this had to do with a young woman? Perhaps this was a situation where a young woman was quite ill once a month. But why would it be once, like, once a month? Or, oh, or was it that this only happens, this only manifests whenever this woman was maybe the physical history of this room is that the woman here would become impregnated and vomit probably and then perhaps this woman just has this memory oh she she pregnant enough times that she manifested like this is how she connects to this place through this feeling of being ill? What kind of a place would that be? Did she birth the children upstairs? Was she one of them? I feel like there's more to explore here, for sure. And we are. I think we're, um, we're getting a little bit low on time, surprisingly, unfortunately. But I am kind of interested in continuing to explore these rooms. Um, so maybe this will be a two-parter, but I think we have enough time to do one more room. So let me just roll the dice really quick and let's see where we can get. Okay, we have an 11. So let's go to room number 11. Located on the third floor on the north side of the bed and breakfast, this room sports a side ocean view, a queen size bed, and a lackluster private bath. Ah, uh, bummer. This room used to be the living quarters for a former handyman. There have been reports that sometimes that handyman still comes here to rest, appearing to stand near or sit on the bed. Oh, interesting. Evening number six here at the Addy Sea. I was very excited to spend my evening in room 11 because I heard tell that there was an active physical experience of an actual physical human being. Um, much of what I've experienced in this house so far has been the memories and experiences of previously physically embodied individuals that are manifesting experiences in ways that are not physically experienceable by the people who are visiting the Addisi at any given time. So the idea that there could be uh, a situation where an actual full man the handyman comes here to rest is fascinating. I definitely, I didn't want to 
uh, spook again. I didn't want to spook him away. So I uh, hid a digital voice recorder so that I could listen back. And I also used a ghost box uh, just in case that they would be unwilling or unable to speak to me through normal means and perhaps this box would help him communicate. I loved to be able to discuss with him um, about the house and indeed it was useful. I was sitting in my usual spot against one of the walls facing the room and then um, almost as if he had woken up. He sat up from the bed. All of a sudden he was there wearing these, um, wearing a set of overalls and some type of like oil stained shirt. It was hard to tell he was, you know, a little bit not, he was manifesting this reality and he wasn't exactly physically there and experiencing color the way that I could experience them. And he sat up and sat on the bed. He looked over at me, which was incredible. That's an outstanding amount of knowledge of what is happening in the room that a lot of beings don't engage, um, and many in this room have not, but this is another instance of learning about this room. And I did speak with him. I asked him about this place and what often needed fixing and what was going on. Like, how, did, how, was, how were the rooms faring? just get a sense of where he was in reality and time. It took a couple of tries to get onto the right frequency where he could speak to me, but eventually we did manage to connect. He looked at me and he said, must change the locks again. Change the locks every night change the locks until they don't want to come out anymore. Change the locks until they stop asking. Isn't that absolutely incredible? Isn't that bone-chillingly fascinating? This handyman, he, he wasn't just, he, I mean, he didn't just live in this house and fix things. He was there. He has this strong memory, this strong purpose that is keeping him there. Some sort of experience of changing the locks. Was he privy to what happened in the room downstairs, room 13? Did he... Was he a part of that? What manner of... of emotional, visceral experience that he have connected to changing these locks all of the time. Were these people, were they trapped in this house? Is that why it seems like in every room there seems to be some sort of experience of transgression, of dire, of a dire situation happening in each of these different rooms? Is that what's happening here? Was this more than just a place for people to live and suffer and pass away? And was it a house of 
a more active chosen suffering than the general suffering that is being alive? That is, I mean, but it happens, it's true, but especially for someone involved in the actual trauma, the person, one of the people responsible for the trauma to stick around afterwards is incredible. And I was absolutely fascinated. Because he's stuck around to continue changing those locks. That's why he's here. And he's still here doing that. After he said this to me, after he told me about the locks, I nodded and thanked him for his time. And then I left the recorder on and the line open and I sat there and I waited to see if he would say anything else for the rest of the evening. Just to see. Just to see if he would say anything not directly to me if I didn't say anything back. He just stood there looking at me as if waiting for me to do something. Or as if waiting to do something himself. He appeared to be waiting for something. What was he waiting for? A signal to change the locks? A reason to go? Just sat there and stared. And then as, as the light came up, as the sun came out and the days began, he faded away. Truly fascinating. Something really happened in this house. There is so much more to explore here. This is going to be a very interesting report for the new owners of the Addisee. I can tell. And I think we're going to have to leave on that kind of a cliffhanger for this time. Because <laughs> uh, we are out of time, folks. We are out of time, folks. And my goodness. You know what I really like about this is how it really is turning into a... It's really turning into a mystery. I was a little, I was a little confused after I kind of explored the premise um, where, I mean, after I realized that it's just about someone exploring paranormal activity in a house, I was like, what's the mystery? When I think of mysteries, I think of, you know, living people solving uh, murder mysteries or who stole the thing or uh, who caused the crime. But in this case, the mystery... I mean, everyone's already dead. <laughs> um, it's a bit of a different mystery entirely, and I think that's really interesting. And honestly, I'm really enjoying playing a character who is just really nerdy and interested in the face of all of the horrible things that are happening in this house. I'm like, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like describing some stuff that's like something happened in this house. Something bad happened in this house, and I, some, there's something about it. I'm really enjoying the idea of this, like, 
scholar coming in here and just being fascinated by the way that creepy things are manifesting here. Right? That's a really, that's like a fun place for me, <laughs> interestingly enough. Um, and I hope it has been interesting for you too. Uh, maybe we will find, uh, maybe we will find some time to do a part two sometime soon to finish up the mystery here. And I, I know I would certainly like that. So I dare say that it will probably happen. So keep an ear out for that. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for being with me and hanging out with me here today on Gameplay Radio here on Radio Free Brooklyn, playing The Mysteries of Addie C by Jessica L. Washburn. If you really like this game and you would like to support Gameplay Radio or just share your appreciation, uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Erin is a bird. That's E-R-Y-N is a bird. Or follow our Twitter at Gameplay RFB. Or listen back to our archive wherever you find podcasts. But otherwise, just stay tuned. We'll be back next week with more. We always do. And that will continue to be the case. And yeah. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye.